aquí hubo Lucha Libre fans. This is uh, Indie Handshake, edición de Lucha Libre. I'm Jesus Cruz, and today I'm being doing a good. Doing good, doing good. Como andas with this uh, COVID uh, situation? You guys are good? Family's good? Family's good, just living through it day by day, trying to get through it more than anything. Just trying to make the best of a bad situation. Yeah, congratulations. I know you recently became a father. Yeah, recently, four months ago, uh, yesterday, as of this recording, the baby girl turned four months. Okay. How's that been? Begin any sleep? Uh, first month, yeah, because, you know, the mother paid leave, so she was the one staying up. But uh, as of late, she's been getting more used to regular people sleeping hours. So, yeah, I haven't been sleep deprived as Man, I remember when I had my kid, he was pretty easy, so that... You know, I, I was lucky in that respect. So for the people that might not know you, um, tell us where you're from and uh, originally where your family's from. So originally I was born in a, I won't call it a small town, it's more of a city in a real nearby Mexico City called Cuernavaca. It's in the state of Morelos. That's where my family's from, my parents, with the exception of my dad, who's from uh, Guerrero. But yeah, that's where I originated from before immigrating here to the United States. And where did you immigrate to? What area? Uh, we immigrated when I was uh, four years old. We immigrated to uh, Stockton. So that's where we've been the past 15, no, 15, 17 years. That's where we've been the past 17 years. Stockton, California. California. The home of uh, the Diaz brothers. Yeah, they're very, very much popular around here. They, they very much represent the attitude of many of the Stockton civilians. See, and uh, I know you borrowed uh, something from, uh, uh, was it Nick Diaz? Nick Diaz, yeah, yeah. He's the one that does the slap, right? No, Nate. Nate. Nate's the one that does the slap. I think they both do, don't they? Nate. No, no, Nate. Yeah, you're Whichever right. Whichever one's the most successful of the two, he's the one that popularized it. Yeah. Yeah, I do a, a slap. <laughs> but I call it the K-Block slap because it's the uh, street I grew up in. It's a very ghetto street, so that's why they call it the K-Block. It's actually called Kelly Drive. Got it. I ended up doing... Um... The Diaz brothers tried to do their own MMA promotion. I don't know if you remember that or call. I forgot what it was, but they hired a group that I work with to do their video production. And that was, it was insane. I mean, it just, it's whatever you imagine the Diaz event being yeah. like, it was late. There was like fights in the crowd. Nate was one of the ones that started one of the fights in his own promotion. Yeah. I think it was called War. Damn, so it was like a lucha show? Yeah, yeah. No, it was, it was pretty intense. But uh, anyways, going back to you, um... How did you get hooked in uh, Lucha Libre or pro wrestling? So what happened was, uh, I can't remember the story because according to family, I was 10 months, 10 months old. Uh, originally, they took my older brother to see the wrestling event, but he fell asleep. According to uh, both my parents, uh, at 10 months, I was just looking straight forward at the ring, not missing a beat on the action. And eventually that stuck because I rewatched like old baby videos that I don't remember, but I'm like a year old, already counting to three, playing with the action figures and all that. So I won't necessarily be able to recall which uh, wrestler got me hooked at first, but I do know, as far as family tells me, I've been hooked since 10 months old. And then as you grew up, uh, as you got a little older, who were your favorites at the time? So at the time, obviously, uh, I was more on the technical side with the exception of uh, psychosis, but that was a real mind. Uh, it messed with my mind a lot because I didn't know there was two of them when I was a kid. But uh Aside from Psychosis, the original one, Nicho, it was uh, Rey Mysterio when he first debuted in uh, WWE because he was, like, the only masked guy that I could remember at the time. Uh, Jeff Hardy a lot just because I liked the whole uh, no-caring attitude. And back in uh, 
Mexico, actually, one of my favorites was uh, kind of indifferent to him now, but as a kid, you, uh, Mascara Sagrada. I was a real big fan of Mascara and Mascarita Sagrada because, you know, I thought Mascarita was a little kid when I was a kid, so I was like, oh, I can do this. But eventually I noticed he never grew. But, yeah, those definitely those four, uh, those five, Psychosis, Rey Mysterio, Jeff Hardy, Mascara Sagrada, and Mascarita Sagrada. Speaking of Psychosis, I'm wearing a T-shirt that I know you like to give me shit for. Oh, yeah, the OG shirt, you never change. But, yeah, that's the OG Psychosis right there, Nicho. Yeah, it's like you always wear that fucking shirt. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Did you ever get to uh, speaking of Mascara Sagrada? Because I know he stayed in Stockton for a while, like years, years later. Um, did you ever get to meet Mascara Sagrada? Yeah, I actually worked uh, a show with him. It wasn't a very good show, but you know, it was a show with Facebook him. Facebook show? It was. Uh, we could beat that. Was it the Facebook show? It was no. Well, that one too. But no, the first show I ever met him was for a very infamous promotion called uh, Dulce Diamante <laughs> and that was uh that was actually my second show ever here in the in the states and yeah I met him you know I was like that was pretty cool you know pretty I would say surreal but I mean I wasn't surprised given how long he hasn't been in the spotlight yeah but, yeah it was actually pretty cool to meet him regardless of that so yeah no, he was always he was always uh, a treat to watch when I was younger uh Shit, the movies he did with Octagon, too, were, like, badass, you know, when you were a kid who watched those. And yeah. so I got to meet him in Stockton. Uh, one of my buddies, Golden Lion, put a show on, and Mascara was in the main. And uh, so we got to hang out, you know, interview yeah. uh, Univision. And he was cool. You know, he's, he moved a lot slower. And Oh, yeah. It was... Uh, it, that just... It, it, you know, yeah, kind of depressed. I remember at that show, he was... Uh, it was him, Pirata Morgan, uh... Payaso del Rodeo, we all know that guy. And then uh, I forgot who else was in the match, but the highlight was because uh, you could see from the the backstage area, you could see the match. And I remember he was doing a spot where he was going to baseball slide to the outside of the ring. But what's funny is like his ass, like his actual ass, like his butt was like so big. <laughs> he was baseball sliding out, but he got caught in the bottom rope, and he couldn't finish the baseball slide out. That you know, people started cracking up. I was like, man, that's just. <laughs> she got he got that booty, booty, booty. He did, man. He got caught like he he because the the slide itself, he was sliding very smoothly, and all of a sudden he just got caught by the rope. Yeah. His ass just blocked it, and I was like, fuck, dude. Dude, that's when you start doing twerking videos to make money. <laughs> something during so the pandemic, I believe it. I know, right? So, okay, so you watch wrestling, you know, since you were 10 months old. What made you or how did you get uh, the, the uh, urge to actually train? And where did you start training? Uh, so what gave me the urge was, uh, well, for uh, being part of a Mexican family with Mexican cousins, similar situation to me. They all were born in Mexico, immigrated here. All of their favorite sport was soccer, and I just couldn't get into soccer. But I really like wrestling and I saw them always playing uh, soccer all the time, but I obviously I can't wrestle if I'm a kid. So that kind of got to me that I really wanted to do it. And they all really wanted to do it too. But, you know, eventually they try to look at it from a more quote unquote realistic standpoint, you know, where they're going to try to just go for a regular career path. But for me, I just, I was like, no, I'm going to prove everybody wrong. Eventually uh, when we visited Mexico in, Dece uh, in the holidays, like December, January, we went to a, uh, arena called uh, Arena Isabel, where they had the CMLL guys in the main events. And there was no guardrails. So 
during intermissions and stuff like that, if you were fast enough, you could get to the ring. Once I got in the ring, I felt that ropes. I'm like, oh man, I really want to do this. Like I, I couldn't help but want to do it. And yeah, so eventually I started uh, training. Uh, so when I started looking for schools here in the United States, uh, you know, there's a bunch of names and like, you know, I'm not talking bad about any of them, but the prices were pretty outrageous, you know, whether it was uh, APW or BTW or Revolution to name a few, I noticed a lot of thing was the down payment. There's always a down payment for these schools at the time. Cause I was like 12 years old at the time looking for a school. And it was like ridiculously expensive. The down payment on top of the monthly dues, on top of all these things, and uh, and you know there was there was lucha schools I'm assuming at the time. But the thing about a lot of the lucha guys are they promote their schools on Facebook, and obviously I didn't have those guys added on Facebook at the time, so all I could find was whatever popped up on Google. So it was like ridiculously expensive. Like you know I, I like so what turned out to be cheaper was I could buy a plane ticket to Mexico. I could stay there for about two months in the summers and then I would train in my hometown of Cuernavaca Morelos. I trained in Lucha first and the dues on top of the plane ticket, on top of what I paid to stay there, on top of the meals and all that. Well, I mean, on top of what my parents paid because I was 13 years old. Um, it was still a lot cheaper than training here in the States. You know, so I was very, very fortunate for that until eventually uh, I started uh, driving or uh, and being able to afford rides and uh, my good friend Diablo Azteca was training out in Los Baños and then I went there and then from there I just started making connections all over the place. But yeah, I started originally in Cuernavaca, Morelos. What was your trainer's name again? Uh, Eddie Cruz. Eddie Cruz. Very local, uh, famous locally, uh, very, very skilled, made me lose a lot of fear for a lot of things. Very, very talented guy. Saludos para Eddie Cruz. Un saludo para el tocayo de apellidos. That's probably my uncle, fool. I don't know. Uh, probably, man. He's very. But you were talking about down payments for racing schools. I was trying to think of our, what we were charging for Arena Hayward, dude. And I think our down payment was just a, you down, fool. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, man. Once I, we'll get to that too, but yeah, once I got to Arena Hayward, I was like, oh, this is how most schools should be. Yeah, I mean, I understand some, you know, the schools that charge a lot, you know, down payment because that's, that's, your, that's what they do for a living, you know. Um, yeah. So they have to, you know, and insurance and the building and all that. But, you know, a lot of people think like, oh, okay, you go to a reputable school, you know, pay a lot of money. You know, even if you do finish the course, uh, your classes, however, however long it takes you, it doesn't guarantee you a spot. Oh, yeah. It doesn't guarantee that you're going to be good. It doesn't guarantee you anything. You know, yeah. just because the price is high doesn't mean that the school is, yeah. you know, Good. Yeah, it's like uh, Roland Alexander on uh, Beyond the Mat, where he's like, I can't guarantee you anything other than an education on professional wrestling. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, we had students at uh, Hayward that paid for the whole year, whatever full amount, and they never even debuted because they weren't ready. And did I think they paid more than I did? Yeah. <laughs> more on time, I mean, not more money, but yeah. Yeah. What would you say are the difference, uh, the biggest uh, differences between getting trained in Mexico versus getting trained in the states well primarily is uh in mexico you work the right and the states you work the left and uh in mexico it's a little bit more flashy moves rather than uh showing the physical aggression because uh in mexico i noticed you do uh, a lockup and it's a little softer and then you go into a transitional move which is usually the latigo and usually you just like slap the head slap the hand out of the way do it, or even if you just want to go into a uh, uh, side headlock, you know, you just uh, pop the arms off and then you lock it in. 
I noticed when I came to the States, uh, I trained a little bit in Lucha in the States in those values, but when I started training with uh, Jason Styles at Arena Hayward, I noticed that I would do that. He's like, I, I, he said, I fucking hate that. You just pull the guy in, you know, there's more, not to talk bad about Lucha because it is my favorite style, but I noticed in the States, there's a sense of more realism rather than just flashy, get it through with it, get through with the sequence. So I'm very thankful I learned uh, that from American. But yeah, that's the biggest difference aside from working different sides is one's more flashy. The other one's just more with a purpose of uh, showing realism, aggression, and psychology. That's just modern Lucha though, because when I watch old Lucha videos from like the Dias of the Coliseo and stuff like that, Torre de Cuatro Caminos, there was a lot more realism and less flashy. But based on modern, the way things done are done, in modern times, that's the biggest difference. Yeah, um, one of the pet peeves that I have, and I know a lot of trainers like Jay, uh, the Irish whip, the the Mexican Irish whip. Yeah, they're barely slapping you in the back, and like, boom! That I'm so fucking strong that I just pull yeah. the corner with this. Yeah, yeah. Gate. Um, also rainbow clotheslines. Clotheslines. I hate that. Yeah, I had that problem until Jason cracked me. You know, I'm not saying I have the best clothesline in the game, or at least the best missed clothesline, but uh, he definitely made me feel like I, I, uh, a lot better because I watch old matches of myself before training with Jason and after, and I definitely feel a lot more polished in that regard. So I totally skipped this part. Uh, usually uh, I wanted to start these uh, podcasts with kind of a story or kind of, uh, of how we met and the first time I remember meeting you, it was at an Arena Hayward show. I believe it was a uh, fundraiser? Tribute show, or a fundraiser, yes, for uh, yeah, was one of the wrestlers whose uh, kid passed away. Yeah, uh, yeah, their kid got murdered. A fundraiser for him. And I remember the match was already set, and you had come in, and I was like, I had nowhere to put you. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know you at all. I knew you were training with uh, Mascara Infernal in them and Los Baños, but uh, yeah. other than that. But I remember, yeah, we brought you in, and uh, I think you did one – you came out as, like, a manager or something. A second, yeah. But, I mean, I got away with a lot more than a manager should, but, yeah. <laughs> I think you did a suicide dive. To I did a – I actually did a springboard crossbody into the ring, and then I did a, a pop-up Rana, and then I did a suicide dive. Okay. So I got a, a lot more in than I should. It was a very, uh, who was in the match? It was Mascarene Infernal, Agramon. Capirucho, I think. And Dragar. Yeah, Capirucho and Dragar. Yeah. Yeah, Capirucho was something else that match. <laughs> what was your, um, what was your, uh, uh, what did you think about Arena Hayward when you came in? It was a lot more professional than where I was. Not to talk bad about the other guys, you know. I, I love Caparucho to death, but he wasn't necessarily the best uh, promoter. At the time when I met him, he actually trained very hard. But as a promoter and running a show, I was like, man, this is – I thought I was in, like, way bigger leagues. And I, to this day, I still feel like it is a bigger league because it's more organized and stuff, you know. I was like, this is where I want to be in terms of my next step towards where I want to be at the end. But I was like, okay, this is the next step I need to take. I just need to wait a few more times to save up a few money and be able to afford the drive to and back from uh, Stockton to Hayward. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And you were, uh, I always remember you because you were one of the guys that would show up uh, all the time, you know, uh, whether it be a seminar, you were at all the seminars, you were there, you know, two, three times a week. 
Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, and it and it showed the progress you know was showing because you were you were training with Jason Styles and you, our guest um, trainers like Meteoro and Skyde, super crazy guys like that. Yeah, no, yeah, I remember those times. It was pretty intense on Sundays where I uh, pulled double duty on class. Yeah, you and Boone, man. Boone would, uh, Boone, you know, yeah. four hours of training. Yeah, man, it was, took up the whole day, and then we'd still go to whatever restaurant it was you guys wanted to go to after training, so. It was probably the Mexican. We always end up at the spot called the Mexican. Well, Sundays were always away from home at that time. Yeah. So the name, uh, the name in the, in the gimmick, necrosis how did that what does necrosis mean and how did that come about uh necrosis is when you die from uh lack of blood in the organs when you just like start decaying and stuff like that uh the name came from uh so i'm very much into uh not as much as i used to be as a, as a youngster but <laughs> when i was younger i used to be in uh into thrash metal a lot like just basic thrash metal like it was my favorite genre and i always like to find new bands and there was a band from Chile called it Necrosis. And you know, eventually I Googled the uh, definition of the word. I saw they made an appearance on Sábado Gigante, you know, and all that. So I was like, okay, that's a, that's a pretty fucking badass name, you know. Uh, I want to use it. And that's pretty much where it came from. There's not much deepness to it. It's just I liked how it sounded. I needed something short that could be, like, easily pronounced by announcers, both in Spanish and English. I liked it. And then... I just was like, all right, I'm going to roll with it. It's dark. It's not too dark. It could be, you know, good guy, bad guy. I was like, I like it. I love it. So it was between necrosis and anemia. And we're oh. talking about blood-related. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. When I first started, yeah, you could have. word for anemic. When I first started, you could have called me that. I was very anemic when I started. <laughs> I wasn't anemic, but I looked anemic is what I'm trying to say. One of one of my favorite uh, heckles from the crowd for you was like, "Cállate, pinche Talia." Oh yeah, Talia is a uh, a soap opera slash singer, a soap opera star slash singer from Mexico. Just she because they have long hair, basically any luchador that has long hair, yeah, get, they'll call him Talia, Gloria Trevi. Oh yeah, it's uh, it's very common amongst long hair, whether it's real hair or not. If you have long hair on your mask, it's it's game over for you. That's your that's your nickname and so on. <laughs> Someone else comes in. Yeah, that I don't know. As simple as it sounds, that always cracks me up. Oh, yeah. So, you know, being bilingual, and then uh, uh, can you think of a story where being bilingual in wrestling um, was very helpful? For me, it's... Or is helpful. It's always been helpful for me in the sense that I can work both, uh, both shows. You know, like if there's an Amer American show, I'll have no problem working an American guy. There's a Lucha show. I have no problem working either or, but it's also very, I noticed it's also very beneficial when uh, they bring in a, an international star from Mexico and they want him to work an American that doesn't speak, speak a lick of Spanish. For example, I remember uh, translating a match for uh, super crazy and Scotty ringer. And I remember before uh, super crazy knew I was there. He was just losing his shit. Cause he's like, I, I don't know what, how to communicate in anything like that. And then I was like, no. And I think either you or Jason told him I could translate. I think I did, yeah. Yeah, and then I translated, and like, super crazy was giving me like these um, these huge thank yous. And I'm like, dude, it's okay. You don't have to worry about it. But I noticed it's like it's beneficial in terms of everything, and not just for super crazy, but I've had to do it for like local guys and stuff like that. You know, and it's it's very it feels very nice to be able to like do that as opposed to if I wasn't there, the guys would just have to go out there and you know fucking uh 
balls to the wall, try to do it however they could. You mentioned uh, that you like psychosis is selling. And I don't think a lot of, especially in Lucha Libre, I don't think a lot of the people that get into training uh, see, pay attention to stuff like that. Like, I've noticed a lot of students that we had, they just watched their hardcore uh, Lucha Libre fans and they like the guys that they like, but I don't think they pay attention uh, of that stuff. They're like, oh, I like him because he's a badass. You know, he always wins or, or, or you know, he does high flying. I don't think they actually take the time to see, okay, who's selling, who's, you know, who's really good technical wise. Yeah, no, I definitely like, I mean, once I got through the phase and I like, okay, uh, you know, it's always talked about how, yeah, if you're the flashy guy who's uh, doing the flying moves, you know, the crowd's going to love you. But if you're the, the base or the guy taking the moves and, you know, you do it safely and you make it, you make the other guy look good, you know, back when you get to the dressing room, the other guys are going to appreciate you just, just as much as the fans appreciate the other guy. And it's going to give you a good reputation in terms of, uh, you know, you might not get booked because you're very famous for what you do on the outside, but what you do in terms of what matters on the inside promoters are going to hear like, okay, that guy's safe. That guy knows how to make guys look good. Let me bring him in. And then that's just how you get out there. So I always look more for those details because it helps out a lot. Unfortunately, I don't think there's a lot of promoters that think that way of why they bring back guys. Yeah. Nowadays, I think, you know, there were some promoters are some promoters uh, in the Bay area that do pay attention to stuff like that. I think other promoters are more like, who can I bring in cheaper? Yeah. Uh, you know, let me bring a cheaper guy versus a guy that, you know, actually worked the crowd. Actually, Yeah, but, I'm, but mostly I'm referring to promoters that matter. The other ones, I'm just like, yeah, I'm not really interested in working those types of shows. But the promoters that matter, the ones that actually take this uh, this business seriously, you know, I'm like, that's definitely, those are definitely the guys I want to work for. And there's no better way to impress them than to show them that as professional as they are promoting wise, I, I intend to be just as professional when it comes to doing my job in the ring. Gotcha. So um, before that happened, were you working uh, pretty regularly, um, either Lucha or, or other types of promotion? Uh, promotion, I would say. To an extent, because at the time my daughter was about to be born, uh, like a month before, two months before this whole COVID thing happened. But before my daughter and all that, yeah, I was working pretty regularly, whether it was a, a promotion like uh, Revolution or... Uh, California Championship Wrestling, which is uh, Jason Styles' uh, new promotion. Or uh, not that new. They just completed a year in February. But, uh, yeah, him in Mascara Infernal. Mascara Infernal. And then there was one in uh, Fresno that I worked uh, called Blacklist. They're, it's not very big, but, you know, they're a good group of people. They treat me with respect. Uh, you know, they always pay on time and everything. And, you know, they, don't, they never pair me up with anyone that I don't feel comfortable working with. Yeah. So I definitely got to give them – a lot of thank yous for that because back then when I would work other promotions, you know, they'd be like, you can work this guy. And I'm like, do they train? And then, you know, but yeah, it's, it was mostly those three, uh, California Championship Wrestling, Revolution, and um, Blacklist as of recently, you know. Uh, I can't think of many that I work other than that just because a lot of American promotions don't necessarily like to book Lucha guys. Yeah, that was going to be my next point is that it's a shame that a lot of times uh, uh, luchadores get looked over for tournaments or, or shows. You know, there's some promotions that are, are drawing well and they only book luchadores when they book a Cinco de Mayo or uh, a Mexican Independence show. Day yeah. show. 
it's like, oh, 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 shit, now you need guys, you know, now you want to. Yeah, and that's, I mean, I get it from the language barrier standpoint, but there's no reason you can't have the guys just, you know, work with each other, the luchadors and stuff. Yeah, and I think guys like you and Diablo Azteca uh, are, are kind of going to come in in a new wave in the Bay Area lucha scene because they are going to see that you guys can work. Yeah. All styles. Um, before this, it was, you know, guys like Chicano Flame, Golden Lion that were working Americans, and Roquero del Diablo. Yeah. Um, when I first brought him in in 2003 that's he he it was a shock to him not a shock but it's like oh shit now i gotta work with americans if i want to get looked at yeah and, yeah yeah well, nowadays it's either just uh they only book him for a cinco de mayo show or they think it's pretty simple to just put a, a white guy under a mask and like you know pretend to be a luchador and, and there are some there are some some uh american wrestlers that have donned a mask that oh yeah they take it you take it good and actually respected the, the business, but it's like that road trip. Oh, Las Vegas, yeah. Las Vegas, man. Like, I was looking at their show, and it's like, you know, it's just a white dude wearing a mathematical mask. Yeah. And it's like, dude, this this is disrespectful. It's uh, oh, very much so. Yeah, those are the types of friends. Because I know there is a few, uh, not to call them out by their skin, but uh, American, you know, American guys that are wear masks, but they take it seriously. You know, there was a uh, Christian Crusader, there was a uh, Leon Acuza, and uh, if, I, if I remember any other, I know you know uh, you knew a guy named uh, Flaco Loco. Uh, Flaco Loco is Mexican, but uh, guys like uh, Wildstorm, Kid Omega. Oh yeah, Wildstorm. Uh, I'm actually gonna have them. I, I plan on having all of those guys on here because I, you know, I've, I've known them forever. Yeah, but they all respected the mask, is what I'm getting. Yeah, saying. exactly. Yeah. They 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 uh, appreciate lucha libre, and you can tell you can tell in, in their uh, training in the crowd that they yeah. they really all use their own mask. They didn't just find you know some mask, whether it be on e lucha or a flea market, you know, from already established wrestlers. Um, so far, what has been well, not so far, but your um uh, your most memorable match, good and bad. You can start with you can start with the bad one. The bad one wasn't uh, not to like save myself, but it wasn't necessarily my fault because I didn't really do anything wrong in that match. But uh, I didn't do anything wrong at all. It was just a really bad match that killed the crowd, even though it was already kind of a shit show. But it was me and uh, Super Capirucho. And uh, at the time when I was training in Los Baños, we had we had a pretty good group. We had a Masquerade for now, Super Capirucho, Diablo Azteca, and that's about it. Uh, there was a guy named Zodiaco who wasn't necessarily good when it came to matches, but for training, it was a very solid, solid class. It was like a, a fucking sky this seminar, basically. But um, eventually, uh, some guy named uh, Sean Gunn came along and he brought uh, his uh, students. And uh, not to rag on anybody, but they weren't very good. Not all of them, but some of them weren't very good. You know, there was there was one standout who I have to give a shout out to. It was uh, Alpha Zoe who ended up making better things for himself than what was going on at the time. But aside from that, there were, there weren't very uh, good, especially when it came to Lucha, but either ways they just got on shows, especially cause uh, it was a Lucha show and you know, you show up, you could even be half trained for all they care. But if you show up, you're white and you're American. They're like, Oh, American, you know, we got to book that guy now. Cause American, why not? So it was me and Super Capirucho and we worked these two Sean Gunn students. I worked one. I didn't have any problem with the language barrier. We got through it no problem. And um, Super Capirucho had the other one for a spot. 
but neither knew any Spanish at all. And I tried my best to translate, but you know, there's moves you can't necessarily translate like a jarocha. Yeah. You can't translate that or, so the kid just forgot his whole spots and like Capirucho would go for a jarocha and would barely tap the guy and the guy would just freeze. And then he'd just fall out of nowhere. And it was just bad, man. Like all the, every move they tried was messed up and the crowd noticed and they'd call him out for it. It was just, it was too hard to save, you know, it was very difficult to, make look uh believable and you would think in a, if that's happening in a match especially the vet guys uh just take it home man just yeah. kill this thing but out of let's put this thing out of its misery but that's never the case yeah it didn't help that the referee had a pedals and my shirt on but... oh shit did he have a mask on too no nah, i was the promoter man it was uh a very rodeo a very famous rodeo clown you know right? oh gotcha gotcha yeah 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 uh, so, okay, what about a good one? Good one was... Uh, memorable match, good. My first match I felt was memorable and good, but it was my first... My first match here was a Diablo Azteca, but, you know, eventually I had better matches. Uh, it's always going to hold a special place, but uh, I always have good matches with him, so I'm going to have to say uh, a different person was uh, when I had a match with a Soul Calcazi. He chose you as his worst one. No, I'm just kidding. No, no, I, w I wouldn't put past him to do it as a rib, but... Uh, <laughs> I did it. Uh, my first ma my best match uh, that I, in my opinion, that I liked the most was with uh, Soul Cal Crazy. Okay. That was yeah. pretty recent, right? Yeah, very recent. Cause it was, uh, I looked at it as not like a huge test, but as a test to like, okay, if I could, if I could put on a good match with him and keep up the, the same pace as him, you know, that means I can hang with, with a lot of people down, whether it be in Soul Cal or NorCal, like I can hang and I can put on that indie rific match that a lot of promoters are looking for now. Mm -hmm. And, uh, what helped, what made me feel better about it was uh, he was coming into the match with an injured shoulder and I was coming into it with like some really badly like bruised ribs to the point where like if I even flexed a little bit, it would just like kill me, you know? And the fact we were able to work through those, uh, we were able to work through those setbacks, you know, and still put on a great match. I was like, okay, you know, I feel great about this. It was a great match and I'm ready to hang with more names whenever this pandemic's over. Uh, what is your favorite uh, road story? Like a road trip? Uh... Oh, man. It was, we had this. Uh, we had Pulling this up to an event, whatever. Terrible, terrible road trip to um, uh, Las Vegas. It was with Jesus Cruz. No, I'm kidding. It was, uh, it was me, Diablo Steca, uh, a guy named Casador de Alma, and uh, Vaquero Fantasma. And it was usually when we would work Vegas, it would be weekends. So we, we would just stay the day after, you know, no big deal. But for some reason, the people down there decided to run 4th of July. And it was a weekday, and then there was going to be work the day after. So we all had to go back to our, our day jobs after, after the show. So I, I met up with at Diablo's house at like 6 a.m., which means I had to wake up at 5. And then the other two guys, they had to probably wake up at 4, you know, to get there at 6. We go there and... Uh, you know, he's, he's cool to me, you know, I don't, you know, no, no beef with him, but, uh, Vaquero was just in a shit mood the whole trip, like, he was, he wanted to stop every, like, you know, minute or so for a bathroom break, and then we were about to be late because of him, you know, because he kept wanting to stop, and then he's like, are we not going to stop for breakfast, and I was like, oh, brother, I was just in the backseat, like, ah, oh, man, and then I remember Diablo is like, uh, because he keeps in place, like, I'm so hungry, man, I gotta eat something before the show, and Diablo out of nowhere, he just pulls out a this huge bag of almonds and uh, raisins and he just sets it in the middle and Vaquero just looks at him like, all right, this is going to be one of those fucking trips, you know, like, 
very much <laughs> shut up. He <laughs> just shut him up there, and then we get there, uh, and uh, they have us book. They had me booked once, which was whatever. You know, I had a good match, um, but they have Vaquero booked twice, and uh, Vaquero was like, "So am I going to get paid double or what's up?" And we're like. He has the match, whatever, you know, that's a different problem for the promoter and everything. You know, he ends up shooting on some students of the promoter and stuff, but uh, he has the match and then we really want to go back home. And we thought we were done by the early point, but then they put Diablo in the semi-main event, which is, because it was a festival. So, you know, first match was like at two, then there was one at four, then at six, then at eight, and then at nine to finish it off. Diablo was in the 8 p.m. one. By the time he got done... By the time he got done with the match, by the time he got done getting dressed, we were leaving, leaving Las Vegas at like 10 p.m. And it was just, we were tired at that point. And then yeah. here goes Bakura again, like, hey, I'm hungry. I'm trying to eat. And then, you know, we got a Casador driving this time. We're all just in a very, like, grumpy mood at that point. And we go to a Taco Bell. And everyone's in a grumpy mood except for Casador. And, you know, we get to, uh, to the Taco Bell drive-thru and the lady's like, welcome to Taco Bell. How are you doing? What can I get for you? And fucking Casador says, um, oh, I'm doing well. How are you doing? Without ordering anything yet. He's just like, I'm doing well. How are you doing? And, like, fucking Diablo was just so grumpy from being tired at that point. He's like, fuck, dude, save some pussy for the rest of us. Just fucking order already. Throw <laughs> it on your own time later. Because we were all just trying to go home. And we're like, yeah. oh, dude, just fucking order already. We're trying to go already. And then they, they got uh, Vaquero and Casador's order. But they forgot ours, you know. They didn't give us ours. And we're like, fuck it. We're just going home. We'll, we'll just starve on the way home. Damn. Yeah, that trip was brutal, man, because I had to go to work the day after, and I was just like... And I know, I know Diablo Seca has a, has a very strict rule about not stopping. Yeah. When going on road trips. I know, because that was the road trip you're talking about. That was the show after the one you and us went to, right? I think so. Yeah, it was, uh, it was uh, the July after um, uh, yeah. the April show that was on WrestleMania weekend. <laughs> That was a that was that was a pretty cool trip, and then followed by that, I was like, "Oh, bro, this is brutal." Like, you know? Yeah. Uh, tell me a favorite um, shady time that you've been either gypped out of pay, or the show was just whack, or 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 you or the promoter is character. Uh, so I'll, I'll do one for you. Can't Lucha. say Rena Hayward fool. No, Arena Hayward was fucking. <laughs> I always loved hearing. I wish I could do more for you, kid. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, there was uh, there's two. Uh, there's one. Uh, there's one in Lucha, and then there was one in American. One was just the guy being too unorganized to the point where he was still salvageable, and then another guy was a guy just way more disorganized to the point where you're like, how the fuck does this guy fucking pay bills at home? How does this guy function and shit? But uh. <laughs> There was one, uh, rest in peace, there was a guy named uh, Carlos Pinales. And uh, we worked... I don't mean to laugh at the rest in peace. I just... Uh, oh, no, no, I know. The, I know. Second, the second story I'm going to hear about him today. He was a, he was a character. He was one, a hell of a guy. Uh, as a person, he wasn't terrible. Just as a promoter, you know. Uh, he maybe should have ha- uh, had like a right-hand man or something. But um, he would always be the type to forget to book a referee for some reason. Eventually, we brought our own, and it was at this time, you know, we, uh, so we, th- eventually, you'd think we brought our own referee. No, 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 my bad. Sparky brought, uh, brought the ring, Sparky Ballard. So Sparky was like, all right, I brought my ring, and then Pinales is like, I need a ref. So then Sparky just Iron Man the whole show, whatever. And uh, so we, it was me and uh, Diablo, 
teaming up with uh, this very, 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 very talented lady named uh, Zaida. And uh, we, uh, we worked against uh, NC-17, Jason Styles and Ryan Bancool. Uh, and they, ha- they were with uh, Wanda. Oh, yeah, yeah, I was there. Yeah, yeah. No, no you, this was a different show. But. Oh, okay. I rem- I, for some reason, I remember this match. So I remember you being there. Okay. So we have the match, right? Uh, we, we had it set to one fall, you know, Mexico versus USA. The crowd was popping. You know, we went over in uh, one fall. But in the middle of the matchup, promoter Pinales walks up to Sparky, and he pulls on his pants. And Sparky's like, what the fuck? And he turns. He's like, what? And he's like, Pinales like, Tell him to make it two out of three falls in the middle of the match. And fucking Jason Styles is like, fuck that. We're taking that shit home. And, you know, we finish the match. We take it home. The crowd fucking loves it. Mexico goes over. Yada, yada, yada. We go to the back. And Pinales is just pissed. He's like, why did you do what I said? I said two out of three. And then he told Jason, he's like, you're very unprofessional. And Jason just fucking lost it. He started cursing him out. You know, they were in the dressing room and he like, Cursed him out to the point where, like, Pinales was, like, backpedaling to the outside of the dressing room to where Jason followed him. And he was, like, he was about to beat his ass until security showed up and stuff like that. And then Pinales was making it seem like he wasn't going to pay us, even though we didn't do anything wrong. You know, it was just beef was with Jason, whatever. He, then they made it seem like he wasn't going to pay anyone, you know, not just us, but everyone on the whole show, to the point where by the end of the show, he was just walking around, you know. No one could find him. I remember Kakamang was there, and he was, like, telling me like he was actively looking for him the whole show no one could find him until eventually he went to the dressing room thinking no one was there and all the guys that he flew in from mexico just surrounded him until he just paid everyone up you know but yeah, yeah that was him as shady as he was and then because he knew he had the money from sponsors he just didn't want to give it up and but another uh, case of a guy who didn't have the money but said he did was uh I won't say any names, but there was a promotion in a Pittsburgh. I remember you went to a show. I think I know you, you know which promotion I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah, and then, you know, he would always – his was simple. You know, he would run the show, and at the end of every – at the end of every show, he'd be like, you know, I'll get you the money on PayPal next time. I promise I got you. And I was just like, if you don't have the money, don't run the show, dude. It's like, it's all good. Just don't run the show, man, or tell, be honest with me and tell me what you can do. You know, I'm expecting – a certain amount of money and you only give me a fifth of what I'm expecting, you know, to yeah. save yourself a pity and all that. Yeah, I know that happens a lot, a lot, especially in Lucha Libre. Um, oh, yeah. And a lot of, you know, these little fly-by-night promotions or, you know, whatever. Um, what has been the craziest fan interaction that you've ever had, whether it be someone that legit wanted to beat your ass or a fan? It's not very long. I just got, I don't want to say groped. Cause I don't, I'd have to look up the, the actual definition of the word. But I remember I got, uh, there was a fan who copped a feel of me in the middle of the picture, and I was like, oh, that's, I haven't had anything too, too crazy happen to me other than that fan. I was just posing for the picture, whatever. And I, I remember I found the picture on Instagram. I'm like, uh, when you look up the location, you know, like the, it was the Sahara, ice hockey rink in Las Vegas, whatever. And I saw that exact same person. I was like, ah, oh, that motherfucking girl. And I was just posing, and all of a sudden, I just feel like this fast but very strong squeeze, you know, like three squeezes. And I'm like, what the fuck? And I'm just like, oh, damn. But no, nah, nothing too crazy other than that in terms of fans. Like, no, just uh, – I remember one time, it was a bunch of fans. We, uh, we got done with a match, and we were just trying to go to the dressing room, you know, because we were done. 
and uh, the fans just wouldn't let us go. It was me and Diablo when we worked uh, Christian Crusader and a guy named RJ Remington, you know, same old story again, Mexico, USA. Mexico goes over, the crowd's really happy. Autograph, 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 picture, 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 picture. And we're trying to go, but they're just like creating a wall. And the, the promoter just gets pissed because, you know, he, he wants us to go back. He wants to start the next match already. And we're like, dude, we're trying. And nothing crazier than that, really. Yeah, it's not, it's not too bad. No, no. I've, I've been very fortunate compared to other people. Um, when was the last time that you were surprised by some you've never worked with them before? You weren't sure that the, how the match was going to come out and, like, you were generally genuinely... There was this one guy, uh, Mantis Lee. It was me and Diablo. Man, so many matches with Diablo. Uh, me and Diablo versus uh, Anarchia and uh, Mantis Lee. And... Uh, to keep it simple, Mantis Lee has a track record for not having the best of matches. You know, very nice guy, very nice guy. Uh, and we were just expecting, you know, right prepared for the worst and whatnot. But uh, I'll give credit to Diablo, man. He made that guy look like a million bucks that day to the point where someone actually bought his shirt. You know, just I was genuinely surprised by that, you know, expecting the worst and getting the best out of it. Another one was, uh, this one was actually good, was the uh, first time I ever worked Jason. I didn't know what to expect because Jason's been around for a while. You know, I just expected whatever he would give me, I'd be happy for But Jason's like, all right, kid, I'm going to make you look like a million bucks. I'm going to sell for you. You're going to tackle me. You're going to do all this. And I'd be like, cool. He's like, what do you want to do? I'm like, oh, I want to do this. He's like, oh, how about you do this? And, you know, he would be very excited to try things with me. And he's like, I appreciate the fact that he's, he doesn't have an ego in terms of when it comes to making a person shine. And, you know, he knows, what his purpose is in a match. And, you know, I always took that a lot of that from him and other people around me that, you know, at the end of the day, this isn't 100% real. So it doesn't matter if you end up looking not as strong as you look, you know, your purpose is to make the best match possible and you know your role. So I appreciated that and it opened my eyes a lot to that. Not everyone's going to be a dick and not give you anything. No, no estamos aquí para jugar muñecas. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Have you ever heard that phrase before? Yeah, I've heard it, it man. We're not here to play with dolls. We're we're tough. We are we're supposed to hit each other hard. So stand your shoulder tackle. <laughs> Says the guy wearing a bulletproof vest. <laughs> you can't hurt him. <laughs> Especially for chops. Ah oh, man, I hated that shit. Uh, that's, a, that's an inside story for another day. Yeah. Um any embarrassing moments? Uh you actually witnessed it. Uh it was the Vegas trip. We did WrestleMania weekend, and uh, we were working these uh, very tall twins. They were like, very tall, very buff, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I came up with this really complicated spot for the guy, you know, and it ended with me doing a springboard, kind of like a headbutt, but I do a front flip, and then I land on their shoulder, and I land on my feet. And I was like, if I pull this off, I'm, I'm set. You know, the crowd's going to – and the crowd went crazy, and I was like, yeah, you know, I'm like jumping around, not looking around. And the guy didn't, you know – I'm not blaming on anyone. It was just bad luck. I'm jumping, you know, going back a little bit. And then I just trip on the guy, you know, I fall back and I land on my ass. Like shit, the crowd starts busting up. And I'm like, that could have been a highlight, you know, like the whole spot could have been a highlight video to upload on Facebook. But that one little part, you know, just ruined it. I was like, man, I just tripped over him. Uh, You saw this other one. It was at the Facebook headquarters, uh, Lucha Festival. Yeah. It was just my entrance. I was, you know, I went to the apron, you know, I did a springboard into the ring. I got some mad air and then I landed and then I crouched, but the ring was kind of, the padding was kind of loose. So I slipped up on the padding and I started going back and eventually I almost fell out of the ring. You know, I 
fell back. Uh, my my upper half was outside of the uh, outside of the ring, and I'm just holding on to the rope for dear life. And yeah, I remember that. And it was, it's usually with high risk spots where I feel the most embarrassment. Yeah. Uh, going back to with like Diablo Seca, you guys have a lot of stories, uh, road stories, and a lot of stuff that happened to you guys. Do you feel like? You guys are, are getting kind of pigeonholed into working together, like oh, let's just put uh, Necro against Diablo, or or or, or put them together. Do you feel like a lot of promoters are do that? Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? At certain shows, we do kind of just like you know. Uh, I remember uh, California Championship Wrestling. Unfortunately, when the show was about to start, uh, the guy who was driving uh, the tr the the truck with the ring was late because his truck flipped over and they had to get everything in last minute. So the show started really late and the whole, oh, card, yeah, he lost a finger and the whole card had to be made on the fly. And, uh, we were like five minutes from ring, uh, bell time, you know, and, uh, and, uh, Jason Styles who was booking, he's like, the crows is Diablo put on a match. And we just made up a match on the fly. So it's beneficial in terms of like, when we have to do a match out of nowhere. Yeah, but it's mostly just those types of shows, like, you know, uh, the, the hybrid Lucha American shows. Outside of that, we we don't get booked together that often, but when we do, they still put us in separate matches usually, you know. So we're not too pigeonholed to the point where we're like – and even if we did, you know, we'd know we'd put on a good match, whatever, especially with Diablo. He likes to get uh, experimental and try a bunch of new things, and I'm usually the, the guinea pig for those moves. If he doesn't, doesn't have time to do it at training and he has to do it in a match, he usually likes to use me as, like, the guinea pig to, like, okay, we could do this and this and that, so – I, I never mind working him time and time again because he always has something new in mind. That he gotta keep, gotta keep it fresh. Oh yeah. Has wrestling ever affected your your personal life or your work life? I mean, I know right now you you know you have a kid, uh, you work on time, uh, and wrestling at the same time. So ha, ha, have you ever had like a major do something because of the other? Uh, so oh yeah, many. There was a there was a. a so I'm training at Revolution now. Well, not technically because we can't physically be there. But uh, when I was, uh, my kid was about to be born. But I remember they were going to do, uh, you know, there was going to be an action figure thing. But you had to be there to get your action figure. And I couldn't be there because, you know, my daughter was being born. So I missed out on that. Uh, other than that, it was usually uh, when I was at Hayward and I was still in high school. Uh, I would go to I would go to train in Hayward at like – I think it was 8 p.m. when we did Mondays and Wednesdays. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we train and then Meteoro or Kid Dragon, you know, they'd want to eat after. And no one was putting a gun to my head, like, you have to come eat with us. But I was like, I kind of want to hang out with the boys, right? Yeah. So I'd go eat at in and out wherever we went. And then I'd still go to the gym after because that's the best time to go in Stockton is because it's empty. And I would get home at, like, 2 a.m., but I would still have class at, like, 7.20. You know, and I, I sometimes I would skip first period because I'm like, I'm too tired. I'm not doing it. But in terms of school, it did affect me a lot there. And then weekends, you know, because that's when most shows happen is weekends. I was so used to, you know, a cousin would do a birthday party for their kid or for themselves, you know, and it'd be like, photo pinch of party time, you know, like beers and stuff like that. And I'd be excited and think, oh, hell yeah, cousin, I'm going to be there. But a lot of the times I couldn't go there because I'd be wrestling on weekends, you know, I'd miss out on a lot. And I'd be like, damn, you know, I mean, I get to hang out with the boys in the dressing room, but. One thing is drinking before a match or before you have to go. You can't drink as much because, you know, you have to drive home as opposed to drinking at the party, you know, where you could go all out, have a fun time. Yeah, yeah you know, I've missed out on a lot of birthdays and stuff like that, you know, that I would have I would have liked to attend just 
events, you know, like that. But uh, thankfully, it hasn't affected it to the point where I'm like, you know, uh, struggling in my head to try to juggle things to the point where I'm like, I, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? Because there's always there's always been a solution for it, like, you know, nothing too crazy. But yeah. Uh, have you ever had any injuries, like major injuries through wrestling? Nothing major, just the usual, you know, bad knees, sprained ankles, hurt shoulder, you know, the things that most guys seem to work through, which I think we shouldn't, but I, I'm guilty as charged because I do the same thing. So nothing major, thankfully, you know, nothing that's taken. Knock on wood. Knock on wood that I have. Uh, what are some of the bigger, biggest opportunities you've had so far? Uh, one of them was uh, a tryout for All Japan Pro Wrestling. You know, I didn't get picked, but it felt pretty nice to have a Tajiri and Ultimo Dragon watching, not saying, hey, stop, stop, you're done, you know, like, you know, letting us get through the match and stuff like that. Uh, you know, well, not necessarily the biggest name, like I mentioned, uh, SoCal Crazy, you know, that was just uh, a match that I that I liked because, you know, it was the match I used that I to prove to myself that, okay, I can hang with people, you know, I can hang with the uh bigger local name you know so other than that uh nothing too major just keep going at it until eventually i get it i do get a huge opportunity that i can brag about but nothing to brag about yet what uh you'll get there you're definitely a student of, of the games what does your family think about you doing wrestling because like, especially as young as you got into it you know yeah. you were just like what are they did they think it was just a fade uh so when i started at the age of 13 to train uh my mom didn't think i was going to stick through with it you know, she thought I was going to quit, like, two weeks in or whatever. So she – because they were very against it, you know, because it was interfering with me at school because I'm like, I don't want to do school. I want to be a wrestler. So she was against it, but she thought once I got a taste of it that I was just going to back out of it. And um, so I went, and I stuck with it, you know, the whole two months, and I'm going to stick with it. And then we went again next year, and she's like, you can't go train anymore. I'm like, why not? You know, eventually my uncle snuck me out, and I did train those two months, and I had my first match that year. And my mom was like, found out about it. She was mad, but she's like, all right, we'll go. She hated the fact that I was getting chopped up, you know, but once she saw that I was dedicated to it, she accepted the idea. And so did my dad. Skip forward a few more summers, you know, I trained and whatever. Eventually I do make, have my first match here in the United States at uh, 17. And uh, after that, you know, my mom hates the idea of me taking big bumps and getting chopped and getting beat up, but they're very proud of the fact that I proved him wrong and I stayed dedicated to it because it shows them that I wasn't just saying it to say it and then I was going to back out of it. So it reaffirmed them. They're very happy for me and they're very supportive. Uh, my daughter's mom, my girlfriend, she's very supportive of it. I've been very uh, fortunate to have a, a very supportive circle, whether it be friends within wrestling or family. You know, I've always had people that keep me from uh, quitting, you know, or just getting jaded of it or getting tired of it, you know. What, did, what does your family think about your drop kicks? Oh, man. At first, they probably thought they were shit. <laughs> Eventually, I met a Jason Styles who sort of fixed that problem, and now they're, they're decent, you know, so. I just fucked with you. Uh, last question. Uh, what do you want to get out of this? What are you looking to get out? Primarily, I want to be able to retire with full health. You know, I want to be able to run with my daughter and whatever future kids come the way, pick her up. But I mean, I'm pretty sure that's everyone. But as an end goal to my career in wrestling, uh, I definitely want to get to a stage where I can provide the income necessary to provide for my family while doing something I love and to be able to retire with enough money to save up 
whether whether I have to get another job after or not or a different career, that's fine by me as long as I saved up enough to where I have enough time to find that career. And you know, because once you're done wrestling and you need to find a new career, you do need some time to find that career. Yeah. So just you know, to be able to provide for it, to be able to feel like I contributed something, whether it be you know like a big name or just behind the scenes, you know, like oh that guy was very solid, you know he. You know, so I, I can't say it necessarily a company. I just know I want to be able to make a living off of this, provide with it, uh, be content with where I ended it. I'm not saying I want to be the main event guy, which would be very nice, you know, to be able to be at a WrestleMania or whatever promotion is big at the time 10 years from now. But, you know, I'd be, I could be content just being the guy who was hired to make other people look good, you know, as long as I I knew my skills were recognized at one point. But, yeah, you know, just to be able to provide for the family be happy and be able to enjoy my life after. Uh, I do remember one of your goals was not sucking. Yeah. It's still one of the big ones, you know, I never want to get to a point where people uh, roll their eyes. Or... Get one to you. Uh, yeah, dude. Thanks a lot. Uh, Necrosis. Uh, give a shout out for uh, any of your social media where people could follow you. Uh, social media, uh, Instagram. I've, been, I've really been trying to take this one off the ground is uh, dark. The word dark underscore necrosis on Instagram. Uh, haven't been uploading much just when I was starting to upload the whole pandemic happened. So there isn't much to upload right now, but dark necrosis, same thing on Twitter, dark underscore necrosis, uh, Facebook. I do not have a fan page, but if you feel free, you can follow, uh, necrosis black on Facebook. You can follow it. Uh, if you send a friend request and I know you, obviously I'm going to accept it, but if you're a fan, feel free to follow. There's no vulgarity. You don't have to feel worried about, you know, being offended. You know, there's nothing political. There's nothing, just straight up wrestling, just straight up business. And uh, yeah, as far as social media, that's it. Uh, just very grateful for the interview. Yeah, well, good luck, brother. Uh, like I said, you're uh, one of the few dedicated students that I've seen. Uh, and, you know, when we were doing Renee Hayward for years, whatever, um, you always showed up, you were always on time, and uh, you always put your, well, not always on time, but uh, <laughs> but you always put like your, your best effort. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thanks for watching Indie Handshake, edición de Lucha Libre. We'll now play, you know, Pelo Suelo.